What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 14, and today we got Phil Renato back with us again. We're going to finish up where we left off, talking about taking your side hustle, adding a little bit of passion, and creating a career. Um, We talked earlier in the last episode about how Phil and I went to college together at Eastern Michigan University. Phil was actually my first roommate ever, and I think we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, But what we're going to talk about right now is how Phil actually is the metals and jewelry professor and the chair of the metals and jewelry department at Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids. And a handful of years back, I actually went through the program at Kendall through the industrial design program. And Phil ended up being my professor. And he taught a handful of classes for me. How many classes did you teach for me, you think? Two, I believe three? you had uh, a couple of CAD classes with me, a couple of Rhino classes. Yep. And then you had materials and processes. I don't think you took me for model making. Uh, and then you had me for um, metals and jewelry casting, as I recall. Oh, I did do that class. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I actually have a, a couple pieces, uh, not in this room, but they're around. And I find them once in a while, and I remembered how bad I was at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it, is, it, is definitely, uh, it is definitely an art form. And the one thing I took away from that class is if you can't do it in wax, you definitely won't be able to do it in metal. Yeah, that's a hard translation. <laughs> it's definitely a hard translation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember working on something and being like, oh, I'll just, once I get to the metal, once I actually cast it, right, in whatever bronze or whatever we were doing, mm-hmm. once I cast it, I'll just sand it in the spot. And then after about, you know, 55 hours of sanding, <laughs> right. Yeah. right, I decided that it would have probably been easier for me just to actually cut it and do it in wax. Yeah, I mean, there are times when when you when that's exactly the correct strategy, which is rush the wax and then do something in metal, but most of the time that's the wrong answer. That's the rookie answer. Yeah, yeah it was it was absolutely wrong. And I I remember sanding and sanding yeah. and sanding and other people had been making things and made a couple other things and I'm still sanding on this piece. I think I made this drum key that yeah. was I don't really remember what the form it was. I just remember really being excited about the tooling side of it and being able to make sure that it fit mm-hmm. everything above kind of the, the, the neck uh, or the shaft was just garbage, right? <laughs> it was, it was just garbage. It's, it's not amazing, but I still have it. I still have it. And once in a while I'll pull it out and I don't know that I've used it on a drum. I know I used it when I first got it just to like make sure that it fit, but uh, I haven't used it since then. Yeah. I do actually have a K break that I cast in that class mm-hmm. and it's uh it's really heavy. And I remember someone asking at one point, you know, like, K-Brake should be made of metal. Yeah. Why aren't you making metal? And my first thought is like, have you ever shipped something that's metal and extremely heavy and realize how much it costs to ship? It's 11 times heavier roughly than nylon. <laughs> so yeah, you would not want that. Yeah, no, not, not amazing. So, so you know, you had, you've had a bunch of students. I imagine you've had other students in class mm-hmm. that you were friends with, right? Sure, yeah, you know, over, in various ways. I mean, over, the, over the course of your, how long have you been at Kendall now? I just finished my 17th year. 17th year. I bet you people listening to this either um, haven't been alive for 17 years, potentially, <laughs> right? Uh, or haven't done something for 17 years. Yeah, I find it very disturbing that I've been doing anything for 17 years. Yeah. I mean, it's been it, an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Does it get boring? No, no, not at all. Um, not at all. I mean, I, um, it's not ever the same thing. I don't teach the same classes two semesters in a row. The students change, uh, every, every semester. Um, the politics of dealing with higher ed administration change every semester. Uh, I have different approaches every semester. Um, no, it's, it's almost always different actually. 
in a way that's good. What do you think is different about, um, you know, kids when you first started teaching? Mm-hmm. Let's let's take you out of the equation, right? Sure. I know as you get as you've gotten older and you've um, been more exposed to to students and to teaching and that lifestyle and know what students are capable of and or aren't capable of. Um, you know, what do you think's changed about the students per se? What was the first year that you were there? 2002. 2002. Mm-hmm. Say 2002 to 2018. I don't actually, I don't actually know. Um, we, we have this conversation at school. Um, your, one of your professors, John Maroney, had us reading some articles recently about Generation Z. And I have to say, they didn't, they weren't terribly persuasive to me, which is to say lots of the things it would say Generation Z was like, we're just like the people I was in school with. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that I really recognize. I mean, obviously there are differences. Like one is cell phones, right? What I, I my personal thesis is that um, students get distracted and they're going to get distracted by something. Modern students are distracted by their cellular <laughs> telephones. Uh, Ten years ago, they were distracted by a, a, you know, like a Warcraft on their laptop or something like that. <laughs> right. And then, you know, years before that, when I was in school, I would get yelled at for um, doodling during art history class because I wasn't taking notes. I was drawing things. Right. At the same time, I found that that particular doodling helpful in concentrating. So. Well, in art history, it also helps keep you awake. Sure. <laughs> I, I do remember taking... In the in the in my program, I had to take survey one and two, mm-hmm. and it was an amazing class. I, I remember some things from it. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like they put you in, a, in this class, and those were eight a.m. classes. Yep. Right. Is it eight eight thirty eight thirty? So eight thirty a.m. classes, and you go in there, and it's mainly a slideshow. Yep. And there, you know, there's professors the up there. It's in the dark, yep. and man, there would be dudes in there just out. Yep. Just out. Yep. Right. And or not there at all. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of people miss that one, yep. which is tough. And are... I'm telling you, it was the exact same way when I was in school. I pulled the worst rookie move ever. End of my <laughs> first art history class, I will never forget it, and I've apologized to the teacher since. Um, end of the semester comes, I've been doing horribly. Um, it wasn't my first semester in college, but my first semester in art history. I've been doing horribly, which is to say I'm mostly not there. I'm looking at the final exam, starting to fill it out, and I'm like, I can't do this. I walked up to the professor in the middle of the final exam and said, yeah, I'm going to need it incomplete. Which if a student <laughs> did that to me, I would want to smack them so hard because it's so stupid. Um, and she didn't give me an incomplete. She failed me, which was good for me. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah. that's what you get, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You deserve that. For being dumb. Right. 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 I remember in that class. Um, so my first art history class was so in, in art school terms. It was the most difficult class that we had taken um, up until that point because, like, you know, there's a thing called art school math, right? Where we don't we we don't have that so much, right? <laughs> and so, um, but I remember getting back, getting back uh, some 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 exams, and where we had to write you know uh, surveys and 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 answer some long long winded questions. And we got our grades back and there was punctuation marks all over them and grammar corrections and all kinds of stuff. And I remember this you mean one. like the, the teacher had put a bunch of punctuation marks on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not, yeah like not, like not me. WTF exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, it was more like, so I, I remember, I remember there was a kid in one of my classes named Steven and he was so upset because I think it was also my art history class, but he was in the, my written rhetoric class. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I remember at one point he said to me, uh, he's, he was, he was mad because he was a really, really good illustrator. 
He could he could draw the craziest things from memory, and he was super good. But I remember him being like, "Man, I'm mad. I got to take these classes." He's like, "I already read and write good." Right. And yeah. I and I laugh because I'm like, I'm like, bro. I've peer reviewed your papers and no, you don't. <laughs> right. And and you just said good. Right. And we don't say good. Right. I actually I remember saying I'm saying, you read and write well and no you don't. I'm like right. I remember doing your papers. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So do you remember the little sliding whiteboard that I have in jewelry with the little wheels on it? Yeah, yeah. of course. So um it's a casting class. It might have even been your casting class, I don't remember. But it's a casting class. It's over the summer and I'm teaching students how to um, do specific gravity calculations, which is to say wax has a, a specific gravity of one. Let's say silver has a specific gravity of ten point eight six. So if your wax weighs two, your you know, silver is gonna weigh what is that, roughly twenty two, right? And so I'm just doing this on the whiteboard and it takes like a minute, right? And it's basically what I just said. And one of the students looks at me and she says were you a math major in college? <laughs> and immediately I started dying laughing and I was like, only in art school would right. somebody ask right. if this this like third grade arithmetic was uh, was that level. But it's pretty funny. I'll tell you, man, art, art school, there's some there's some characters that end up oh, there. Yeah, yeah. I remember we used to hang out in the in the in the basement, right? In the is it student the commons. Yeah, the student yeah. commons, the atrium. Yep. Is it called the atrium? I think of the atrium as the above ground part, but yeah, I don't that really makes know. sense. All yeah, right, okay. so the student comments like in the basement. We're hanging out down there, and there's a kid, the same kid actually, the same kid that says, <laughs> "I read, I read good." He kept looking at his phone because we had a class together. Yeah, and the class started at at three. What time? What time? Three o'clock class. Three thirty. Three thirty. So the class started at three thirty. I forget. It's just been a long time. Yeah. So uh, the class starts at three thirty, and there's a ping pong table down there. We were playing ping pong, kind of messing around. We're sitting there, and there's a giant clock on the wall, a giant analog clock. It's sitting on the wall. Oh, right. Yep. And it's, it's, it's pretty, it's not huge, but it's big enough. You can see it from across the room. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember asking him, uh, I'm like, he kept looking at his phone. I'm like, why are you looking at your phone? I'm like, you trying to text and play ping pong? He's like, no, I'm seeing the time this. And I'm like, okay. And then later we're sitting down and I was like, I was like, Hey, what time is it? And he went to, to pull his phone. I grabbed his hand. I said, oh, look, no. I, said, I said, look at that clock up there. You're such an old man. I know, dude. man. He, I felt bad. Like he looked at the clock and he looked at me and goes, man, you know, I can't read that clock. And, it was just like, <laughs> and I said, let's just try it. Right. And I tried to walk him through it. <laughs> yeah. And he said, he looked at the, and he could do it. It's just, it's just, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. digital. It took a little bit of time. So he's looking at the clock and he's like, uh, he's, he, you know, keep in mind with this class at three 30. Yeah. He's looking at the class. He's like, or sorry, he's looking at the clock and he's like, uh, four. Right. 20. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, we've missed our class right. and I'm not going to miss the class. So right. it's, he's like three twenty. like his voice, right. his, his, voice <laughs> his voice went up. Right. Uh, and I was like, you got it, man. Three twenty, You got it. He's like, man, and it was hard. It was hard for him. Right. Which is interesting because that, you know, this generation of kids struggles to read things like clocks. Right. Although, although I remember my kin, uh, first grade teacher when I lived in Florida, um, the digital rich digital wristwatches were just out and we had a digital clock in the classroom. It was very advanced. And she was adamant that we should not be looking at digital clocks because it was going to dull our senses to analog clocks. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been an issue our entire lives. Yeah. Right. No, Same thing true. with calculators. Right. So, I mean, in some ways, maybe that's why a lot of us aren't good at math. I kind of doubt it. I mean, I think we do more math than our parents did unless our parents were specialists. You know, Right, so, right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I actually pretty proud of myself because I was able to, to pass with Brooklyn. I passed fourth grade, 
fifth grade and sixth grade math. Dude, you're Billy Madison. Look yeah, at you, I'm dude. Yeah, I'm Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good. You know, it's, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> nostalgia time with Phil and Wes. That's <laughs> how it goes. So, so speaking of nostalgia, there's a lot of things in your life that have created a lot of nostalgia for you and things that you've, you've kind of gravitated towards, right? Other hobbies, other passions, things like that. Um, I know you collect a lot of things. Tell me about some of the things that you're, that you're collecting into right now that you're really way into. Um, well, so I've, I have two that maybe I could talk about real quick. One is uh, cars. So specifically, I'm into Pontiac automobiles. Um, it's partially because I come. Automobile? I Wait, come is, is that a donger reference? Automobiles? No. I'm, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to do donger references. Um, and so uh, I'm from Pontiac, Michigan, um, although I grew up in Waterford. And um, my brother passed away in 1993 and left me a Trans Am. And so I spent a few years during college uh, restoring and kind of pimping that car out and unfortunately wasn't able to afford to drive it when I was done with it. So stupidly sold it and have now spent, you know, the last 10 years or so rebuilding that car uh, more or less exactly as it was. So I have a thing for cars um, and mostly like uh, 80s and 90s um Pony cars, um, things like that. Um, What's a pony car exactly? Yeah. Uh, okay. So a, a muscle car is a full size car that's fast. So like a like a Pontiac Tempest that has a V eight is called a GTO, right? Yeah. Or we call a GTO. Um, a sports car is a usually a two seater that's convertible that's lightweight and easy to throw around. So something like an MG or even a Corvette. Um, a pony car is in between. So a Mustang, a Camaro, Firebird or a Challenger or a Barracuda are all uh, called pony cars. People call them muscle cars, but they're not muscle cars. I don't, so I, I'm going to take a second yeah. to say that anyone that's listening to this that um, knew about a pony car, be proud of yourself because most of us, I don't think, knew, <laughs> knew what a pony car was. And of course, it comes from the fact that the Mustang was a big success and the Mustang is a horse, right. hence pony, hence knockoffs. No, that yeah. makes sense. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So basically, they're small cars that aren't necessarily fast, but they're in a kind of a sporty range. So yeah. Um, my second hobby would be um, many things related to communication um, and uh, communication technology. So specifically, I have a big collection of Olivetti typewriters and vintage computers. Um, Apple would be the one I have the most of, but I also have um, early Texas Instruments and early um, Radio Shack and other, you know, kind of early computing devices and word processors, things like that. That makes sense. I mean, you, I remember you sold me my first computer. Is that right? The, and, the iPod- and my second computer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Your first computer was a uh, Apple Power Mac 6100 AV, as I recall. 66 megahertz. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. It was uh, giant. And it, it was pizza box format. It was relatively <laughs> short, but wide and deep. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And it had a big CRT monitor, like a 17 inch. Sounds right. Maybe. And I remember having a Cernal 56K modem. Yep. That I bought. It was the hotness from, right there. Yeah. Yep. From like CompUSA. Was that a thing? Sounds then? right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember Velcroed it to the top. Yep. And yeah, it was awesome. I had to plug in and. And only one of us, only one of us could dial into uh, Merit at a time <laughs> and uh, get our internets on. So. Right, right. Uh-huh. The internets. So let's let's jump back in for a second because I don't think we really talk about this. You you talked a little bit about your passions now and things you're into now, but you used to be into piercing. Yep. Pretty hard. Sure. Right. And and so I remember. And we've talked about this before, but we, we got to get this one down on the record because 
we're doing podcasts now and podcasts live forever. So the story's what, what gonna... is what is not in the record is not in the world. <laughs> not yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Not yet. But uh, we're going to put this one down on wax. So I remember you a long time ago telling me a story about how you pierced your Achilles tendon or around your Achilles tendon. Yeah. Of some sort. And what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And I remember something about your ankle swelling up like a softball. Sure. So, you know, that's a good question for any piercing. Why? Why would you do some (laughs) some dumb stuff like that? And um, in the case of most, the answer to a lot of it is, why not? Right? Let's let's see what happens. Uh, So the Achilles tendon, you know, is that kind of hard part that connects the ball of your foot to your calf, right? So it's that, it's that, um, that thin rail like thing. So if you go in front of it towards your toes, it gets to be a soft spot, right? Um, That's where I pierced, right? So in that web between, in that triangular web between the Achilles tendon and the ankle, um, I uh, pierced it because it was wintertime and just in general, I knew it would be hard to heal out. I put a piece of relatively thick monofilament or fishing line like material through it. I think I actually had to use weed whipper line because I went fairly high gauge, like maybe eight or six gauge, something like that. Um, And uh, one of the really dumb things about it was because it was winter, I was wearing snowboarding boots. And so even though I had this piece of monofilament line on it with stainless balls on either side and it had plenty of room for my ankle to swell and still ultimately heal up, I had to stick it all the way down into a deep you know, snowboarding boot every day or just get around in the snow. So I don't think I had that for more than six weeks, something like that. So, um, because it, it got intolerable. So we're going to do a quick bit of physical mm-hmm. um, description here. So everyone take your thumb and take your index finger and put it on one of your ankles toward, run it down the back of your calf, all the way to your Achilles tendon and feel that soft spot right there just before you get to your heel. And now just think about you know, jamming a piercing needle through that, <laughs> seeing what it would feel like. It, if you're driving, make sure that you've stopped and you're at a light and you're using your other, your non-driving foot. Cause that's, that's going to be dangerous. I'm, I'm glad you're helping people out. Yeah. We're not trying keep, to keep yourself from getting sued. Right. Cause what's going to happen. Someone's like, I was listening to this podcast. They told me to put yeah. my, he didn't tell me it. not to stop the car. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man. So good. So you've had, you had, you know, um, over the years, you've had some some different piercings. I remember yep. you'd show up, and you just have this new thing. Yep. Um, we're gonna keep them PG. Yep. And talk about the PG piercings. Sure. Um, tell me about tell me about something that you had pierced inside your mouth. So, um, you know, so I I was usually trying to be creative, right? I was a piercer, and I had some technical things I was learning, but I was also trying to do things that either hadn't hadn't been done or were extremely rare. And my two favorites that I had probably, uh, actually, my favorite aesthetically was the septum. Right, so the center of the nose. Sure. Um, and but my favorites in terms of just odd piercings were um, the uvula. Um, I had to make a custom um, uh, set of forceps and custom wait, 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 needle. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Wait, wait. Your uvula. Yeah, the punching bag shaped thing at the back of your throat that most people would throw up if they touched. I don't throw up when I touch mine. Oh, I no. can probably still reach in the back of my throat, grab it, and pull it towards my teeth. I don't want to see that. But but what if you could pull it out and like clench your teeth so you could like you have this I, I don't know that mine's quite that long, but I definitely <laughs> I definitely I definitely it wouldn't make me gag. Let's put right. it that way. Yeah. Oh, and, and how did you how did this happen? And why? 
How, how and why is this happening? Uh, well, I we didn't. Said. It had been done, um, and there was a lot of controversy within the piercing community about it having been done. People thought that it was uh, ri- too risky and kind of you know life threatening for some reason. Although I can't really imagine how things in the mouth heal very quickly. Um, I had to do it a couple times. Uh, once because I used the wrong kind of jewelry, and then it heals up the second you take it out. So you can't put it back through. It doesn't ever really heal, heal in the normal sense. Um, second time, I, I basically had to take it out because it kept tickling the back of my tongue. I kept kind of, you know, when I was sleeping, it would kind of mess with the back of my throat or something. I also had my soft palate pierced. So if you, um, back to the index and, and, um, and thumb, if you have clean hands, you could put your index finger under your tongue and your thumb under your chin. And if you squeeze down behind your jaw, you'll feel that there's no jaw underneath your chin, right? So if you go back towards your, your throat, there's no jaw, there's no bone back there. So you can actually go right down through the bottom of your tongue all the way out the bottom of your face or your head. Um, and so I had that pierced. I probably had that pierced for a couple of years. Um, so. Oh, man, that's crazy. I'm just... So now we're 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 just gonna do we're gonna do the recap real quick. So we're talking about our uvula, which is the punching bag that hangs in the back of your throat when you go like that thing that vibrates. Yep. Right. And your soft palate, which is kind of behind your teeth, kind of just behind your jawbone, and then your Achilles tendon. And this is all over a period of how long? A couple of years. So I think I was into piercing in one way or another from like ninety four, ninety three to. Uh, uh, ninety-eight. So about five years or so. Yeah. Man, that's, mm-hmm. that's a that seems like a seems like it'd be cool, right? But it's one of those things, kind of like like tattoos, and you're like, oh, these are cool. And then you, when you go to get like your first one, yeah, you're like, it's less cool. Oh right? yeah, but t- <laughs> uh, tat- tattoos are way worse, dude. Yeah, <laughs> way worse because they're so slow. Piercing, even when it hurts, it's over in an instant. Right. Uh, no, that so makes sense. Easy. That yeah. makes sense. Crazy man. So you know, you've had all these all these passions and in things that you've been excited about, you know, how come you've never taken these things, uh, you know, like, like cars and your collections and, you know, figure out ways to, to monetize them and create a job around them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some is because I'm pretty engaged, um, and reasonably, you know, financially secure from the job that I ended up with you know, as a faculty member. So a little bit of it is that. And in some ways that's a regret, right? That I, that I am comfortable enough that I don't have to hustle to do some things, at least not for economic reasons. Yeah. Um, of course I've kept some of those things up regardless. Right. Um, in terms of cars, I think I, even though I, I consciously would never take my father's advice anymore. (laughs) I grew up um, with him yelling that if I didn't study hard, I would end up pumping gas into my friend's Corvettes. I would be working at a gas station. And it's the same thing, even though he was a kind of mechanic, that if I was a mechanic, I'd be working in other people's cars. Don't I want to do the kind of job where I'm going to be making either the big money or having the creative, sexy job, whatever that would be. And so um, there's a little bit of a bias against um, doing at least the... The, the the really direct um, kinds of service type jobs. Um, you know, I think I would love to have been an automotive designer if things had turned out differently or if I had just made different choices. Um, and, you know, that would have, I'm sure, all kinds of interesting benefits and also regrets. So because while I would love to drive a cor- or to, to design a Corvette, I would absolutely freaking hate to design a truck. I would feel like I wasted my entire <laughs> life right. if I ended up designing, like I have a, a friend of mine who's an engineer who does like wheel wells for like SUVs. Right. I mean, like I can't imagine anything that would poison my soul more than that <laughs> if I had a soul. But anyway, yeah. 
That's pretty good. I, and, I, you know, I can tell you this, that I talked a few episodes earlier about, you know, turning your um, my drumming into basically uh, something I could live off of, right? I lived off my craft for a while. And it's weird because, it, you know, it, when you're doing that, it almost takes the fun out of it sometimes yeah. because now it's like it's a, it's a thing that's demanding time from your schedule versus something you get to do for fun, mm-hmm. right? So I think it can kind of lose its luster. So I imagine if you were to, you know, start you know, doing things with cars for people and start paying money or, or getting paid money rather, you would, uh, you know, it becomes a job, right? And it has the same things as a job where you have to be somewhere. You have to do these things, which mm-hmm. before you didn't really have to do that. You just like wanted to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would probably and, take you know, a lot of it away. I don't know if any of your listeners know who Chip Foose is, but I'd love to be Chip Foose. I'd love to take some car, chop it up into pieces and weld it back together and do a, you know, three times better version of what it was to do really advanced or unusual, you know, work at a very, very high level, but I'm not sure I'm capable of it. And to the extent that I am capable of it, that's an incredibly competitive, you know, market, even worse than what I was saying about going into teaching, right? There is one Chip Foose and there are a few people who are maybe near him, right? So, so let's, let's just dive in real quick. Uh, We're getting toward the end of wrapping this up, but I want to ask you remember our first apartment, right? Yep. And I, I was telling someone this the other day, I was, I was looking at, um, um, Nicole and I were looking at apartments for, for Tyler and for next year, uh, you know, at Ferris and we were talking about, you know, square footage and, and prices and stuff. And I remember our first apartment being fairly cheap. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was 575. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, something close to that. 575, and it was about, uh, I think it was about 800 square feet, two-bedroom apartment. Oh, I remember it being like 1,000. Okay, it might have been that big. Only because we had the, we had the dining room, right? It might have been that big, In the sure. kitchen. Yeah. Remember when you broke my bowl? I do, and I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. I'm, I'm both sorry that I broke it and <laughs> that I was so callous about it. When, when, when I should have realized that it had really hurt your feelings. Man, it, it take, I'm just going to say it's taken 20 years to get a, le- a legitimate and sincere apology for breaking a bowl, which was seemingly ugly. But let, let me describe this really quick, just so everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> so this was um, on the kitchen sink. Um, Wes would eat cereal out of it on a regular basis. And pasta. It was res- relatively small. I would say it was uh, two inches deep. Four inches wide. Would you say that sounds about right? No, it's, small. It's, it's much bigger than that. I think that was just your adolescent brain thinking it was bigger. <laughs> it was fairly. It was fairly small. It, was, it bigger. was bigger than a cup, but smaller than a bowl that a normal adult would eat cereal out of. No, no, no. no. It was. It was a bigger. It was like almost like a pasta-sized bowl. Okay. It was probably so. It was ten it, inches round. It was yellowish. It was yellowish, and it had um, a lot of. Um, in in art, there's an interesting thing uh, that we sometimes say that you guys have hypergraphia. Um, that artists are people who like to cover things with all kinds of ornament and decoration, <laughs> and that thing had a bunch of bas relief. Um, you know, maybe band names. Is that what it was on no, that? No, there was like you know a bunch of X's on there, and yeah, yeah. Some straight other, edge bowl. Yeah, straight edge bowl. Right, we ate straight edge food out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's what I remember about it, just so you know. Yes. I do remember what you're talking about, yes. But I also remember, it, I remember sitting in the living room yeah. and uh, hearing this big crash. Yeah. And the words that came out of your mouth, and these are the exact <laughs> words. I remember things that no, no one else I, remembers. I remember it too, yeah. And the words you said were, finally, that ugly ass thing is broken. Yeah. Those are the words. And I was, and I, I went in and I was like, I didn't know what he was talking about. I went there and looked and it was my bowl shattered all over the ground. 
and you were standing there in all your glory with my shattered dreams just at your feet. It was it was an infantile response on my part. Shattered dreams. Yeah. I get I get the kind of <laughs> quasi pun in that. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sorry, and I'm and I'm sorry. I, I feel like I have apologized over the years, but I but probably not at the magnitude of the loss. Right. No, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So just to be clear, I had actually this was a ball that I had thrown on the wheel at school when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so if you now, was ever, that wheel round? The wheel. This bowl was not super round. <laughs> it was round. It was round enough. <laughs> round, <laughs> round like it was a it was a pottery wheel. Yeah. Right. I had thrown it on the potter's wheel and. It was pretty good. You know, I fired Didn't it. Didn't have kind of a. Blazed um, it. It almost looked like it. I I don't remember something that was hemispherical in shape. I remember something that was a little bit more like a. So I'm just I'm misremembering yeah, it. it yeah, cause only because yeah. it was done on the wheel, which that would be really hard to make it that way on the wheel unless it had been sat down and like folded while it was still wet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, I yeah, I get it. Okay. Like shape yeah, shape sure. shifted a little yeah, bit, yeah, right? So, it. yeah, interesting. Funny, we weren't really planning on getting into this, but as I started thinking about our first apartment, yep. these feelings just kind of come up, man. Yeah, I get it. And I just can't, I can't hold it back. I get it. I and, promised and, I wouldn't I, do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but but our, our apartment was was at Eastern Michigan and it was, it, was, it, was, it was on the wrong side of the tracks. Wrong side of the tracks, just like the Biohazard song says. Yeah. Um, and then it was uh, two bedroom, one and a half bath and... No, no, no. One, one bath. You had a, a you had a toilet in your room, hundred percent. And I'm not going to tell you why I know this, but you had a toilet in your room. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and, I swear I just had a closet. No, okay. no, you had a toilet. You had, okay. a, you had a big closet too. I remember you had a yeah. bunch of cables hanging in it, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so you end up um, one and a half bath, and then our living room with this giant console TV that I'd gotten from my dad. It was in our our basement like or something at our house. Wood, like darkest wood, grandpa wood. Yeah, and it had a remote that was probably the size of. I don't know, three or four iPod ones. If you like tape them together and then elongated them yeah, yeah. somehow. Sounds right. yeah. yeah. And had six buttons on it. Yeah. And volume up and down, channel yeah. up and down and a mute and a power. That was it. Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it took like, it took like six C batteries. Oh, C batteries for <laughs> sure. Maybe even. Yeah. 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 Maybe even D's. Yeah. Yeah. It was big. It was big. <laughs> but that apartment was cool because. You know, uh, it was my first apartment ever. Mm-hmm. Like you were my first roommate. Mm-hmm. It's crazy thinking about it all these years later that my first roommate ended up being, you know, a lifelong friend who has done all kinds of amazing things, taught me all kinds of amazing things um, as a friend and as a professor and as a professional. So it's cool. I mean, Phil's actually one of these dudes that I can come to pretty much about anything. But the idea that I'm like, hey, I'm working on this thing. And he'll have some crazy perspective on it that I'd never even thought of. Or if I had thought of it, you know, I can walk him through it and we can quickly kind of move past it and go on to the next thing. But uh, it's pretty cool, man. It's been really cool being yeah. able to do the things we've done together. We still get to hang out, still get to go skateboarding. And I'm glad our, I'm glad our friendship su- um, survived me being your teacher for a minute. <laughs> no, I thought <laughs> that, it w- that, that seems like that could have been a dangerous situation, but it went well. Maybe, yeah. but I mean, I, th- I think it was good though. Like. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're both <clears throat> normal, fairly cordial dudes. You know, I'm not sure I would say that about me. The court, the cordialness, or the normalness. I was I was being cordial. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, I think I think it was cool. I mean, I yeah. I really, I've really appreciated, you know, all the things that we've done and things that we're still doing together. I mean, literally came to see my band play like two days ago, mm-hmm. which was awesome. 
Like, how cool is that? Dude's been seeing my band play and not really liking my bands for at least 25 years. <laughs> well, and just, just to be clear, <laughs> you are an amazing drummer. Oh, and, and I think most of the artists or most of the, most of the um, musicians that you um, are, have played with have been very good musicians. It's just the genre. It's just a little more hardcore. So Phil likes hardcore that sounds a little bit like Sisters of Mercy. Right, I like a little bit more like goth in my hardcore, so a little, little, little bit more chill stuff than uh, than what Wes likes. Oh so. man, um, yeah, it's been fun. So let's jump in real quick to the "What Do We Learn" section of this podcast. Um, something I like to do in the end of all of them is it really helps people understand kind of perspective, and we're actually looking at a lot of this stuff through a lens of like twenty years later or so. So, you know, over the last twenty years, you've been a professor. You know, I've been a tour drummer and student, and now designer. You know. I mean, I think our paths kind of cross for, for obviously good reasons and they cross often and never for the same reason. Mm-hmm. It's always, um, whether we're skateboarding or whether we're, you know, at a show or meeting up for dinner whatever it is. Um, but our conversations are always amazing. So, you know, what have you learned? Maybe what have you learned about me in the past 20 years? Let's Ooh, do that one. A, I like that one. Um, well, one of the things I really respect about you and that has a lot to do with the fact that we've gotten to work together at least in the last few years is that you um, are not somebody who falls in love with that thing and then follows it to the exclusion of all other things, right? Um, I think you're a, a very diverse person and um, and this is something I, I think is also true about me. When you do something even for a job, even that's making a couple bucks um, that you might not have chosen otherwise, you're figuring out what you can learn from it, um, what you can take from that experience into these other experiences. Um, you've been much more risk-taking than I have, so specifically your career change, you know, coming back to school and then going into this relatively totally different field um, was very brave, especially, you know, at that point when you probably could have just kept earning and kept going up in your previous thing. But, you know, to kind of reset and come back and go to school with people, you know, almost half your age. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that was, you know, that was super brave and you, you navigated it exactly right. So I think I've, I've learned that you're somebody who um, is very diverse in your interests and somebody who is willing to um willing to hear the word no and not accept it um and also not be a baby about it but just kind of move forward and say (laughs) you know i think phil's wrong about this thing he just told me um i'd like to prove him wrong and then bring it back to him and show him that i can figure out how to do this right and you have been right about many of those circumstances but i've also been wrong Sure. Right, of course. <laughs> I've yeah. had a handful of, of failures, yeah. which again, and, and I appreciate that, man. I, I think I've always tried to really pride myself on being a well-rounded individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, people always say like, you know, master, what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Right. But I really feel I've tried to, um, just like you, like, you know, you know, a ton about everything, but you know, a, a like extra, extra, extra ton about, you know, a handful of things that people just don't know. Right, Phil likes to play this game called "How do you think this was made?" When we're <laughs> yeah. when we're when we're sitting at dinner, right. right? Whether it's a fork or a spoon, which I know how they're made because I've made them with him, and so you know, or it's a salt and pepper shaker, or it's a table, or it's an ornament that's hanging the thing. And so I think that one of the things I've learned about you uh, in the last bunch of years, God, it's been twenty years, man. Yeah, it's crazy. More. Yeah, it's crazy. Is that you know you you are such an articulate person. And you have such a, a amazing way of explaining things. And I've always been really envious about that. Not like 
not like, oh, you have this amazing vocabulary, which I think you do, but that's not really what I'm getting at. What I'm more getting at is like somehow you're able to articulate things in a way that everyone can understand. And it's, it sounds really, it sounds really difficult and technical, but you also explain it in a way that someone can understand it. Well, that's interesting. I, I sometimes think I, I say things in a very alienating way. At least when I look at the, when I look at my students, sometimes <laughs> I realize I've chosen a precisely the wrong words for this audience, but. Right. But I think that one of the things that you do, and I've, I've seen you do it, is where you'll, you'll have this, this talk to them, or to, to a student, or even to me, and I'll look at you, you know, like a deer in headlights, and you'll pivot and say, it's kind of like if you had this, and you'll come up with a different example. And you'll come up with five more until the person gets it, mm-hmm. right? So that persistence is really what makes you, I think, you know, not only a good teacher, but someone that people will come to when they need help. Ooh, can I ask you a really quick question? Yeah. In detail? Am I somebody who uses a 10-cent word and then immediately defines it just to show that I know that word? No, but you'll put another 10-cent word right behind it. Okay. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> just to be more alienating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, just but you know honest. what I'm talking about, yeah, right? I do know that exactly shit what you're talking is about. annoying. Yeah. I do know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And no, it's just... Okay. You know, when I hear things like, um, when I was in Phil's class, he says, you know, we're just, just designing things that are just, you know, just superfluous, superfluous, superfluous <laughs> things. Wait, how do you say it? Superfluous. Superfluous. My sufficiency has been satiated. Right. Any more would be superfluous. Right. I can't even say the word. That's <laughs> superfluous. I did it. Well, it, or it's in a state of superfluity. <laughs> <laughs> Or you could do, or you could do the. I've never heard it. I've only read it. It's super flouse. <laughs> I love, I love um, super flouse. Which let's let's just real quick, sure. Since we're talking about this, about about um, uh, the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right, right. Um, band names, yeah. So we're gonna do a quick pro tip, real quick. If you're naming a band, or you're naming a company, don't aim at things that people can't pronounce. Oh. Right. Good so here's a good example. There's a band. Uh, I don't remember where they're from. They're they're a hardcore punk band, and they're called Alexis on Fire. Okay. When you write it out, Alex is on fire. Okay. Alexis on fire. It's the same, right? Right. It's the same. The band Isis, which has been around, you know, years ago, a hardcore band. I remember being at a fest and having some girl being like, "Who's is is is?" Yeah. And so when you talk about band names or businesses. Think about things that people can pronounce. Also, in 2019, you have to think about where it's going to land on Google. Mm. So here's a great example. Our company is called K-Breaks. If I were to name that company Drum Breaks and I put it in Google, there are 10,000 pages of car breaks that you would land on before you got to me. Cars have drums, right? All the time, Mm -hmm. right? All day long. People do this and they name their companies things that will never land in Google or they'll get lost in the mix. So can, so let me ask you a detailed question about yeah. this. Um, that's excellent advice. Mm-hmm. But anybody listening to it isn't going to be able to just immediately apply it to future thing. So what's the strategy for figuring out whether or not you've done that? Because, for instance, drum brakes are kind of not used very much anymore, right? right. They might not have ever heard of drum brakes. Right. So how would they be able to figure that out? The best way to do it is to have, you have to do some benchmarking. You have to do benchmarking. You have to go and pretend that you're... A customer and you're going to search for your own company in google yeah right and you go in and look for it you have to test it you have to test yes, it have to test it yeah. right i had i had this conversation with someone the other day that wanted to name their podcast something and i i stopped her because i said think about your audience and the people are going to be listening to it and think about so there's curb appeal to a podcast for example hustle the most 
is very much about stories and, and, and hustling and side gigs and you know, taking passion and creating something out of it. And so I think you can get that out of the word hustle, um, hustle the most. There is some sort of delineation between those things, so some correlation between those things. The podcast this person wanted to choose, I'm not going to say what it was, but it sounded like it had a religious connotation to it. Sure. And I said, people that are or and aren't religious will just pass by it, thinking in their head, they're like, oh, this is a religious podcast, and they'll move past it, mm-hmm. right? Well, her content had nothing to do with religion. Right, right. She just happened to choose a name that landed in that religious which, which, field. Which, which she did the right thing, if it's a she, um, um, by saying it to you so that you could say, I think this thing, she right? She was testing so, it. so that was exactly, that's a form of testing it. So before having committed all your stuff to this thing, you find some way to see if it makes sense. Like one small thing about Google that I've learned is um, students only want to Google things. Student I've, students I've had will often Google things from their own web browser, which of course is not what I see when I Google because Google customizes its searches. Right. So it's got to be either from different browsers and or from incognito pages or something, right? You've got to find ways to get the bias of what of your previous searches out of something like that. And I think yeah. even just pulling in, you know, specific keywords... You know, when I was doing K-breaks, there was nothing out on the market that was landing in a, in a, in a K-break. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a thing. It yeah. didn't exist. So I didn't, you know, create like the most amazing thing out of the ether, but, you know, putting a K in front of the word break, which is for kick break. Mm-hmm. Um, but now if you Google K-breaks, you're going to get 10 pages of K-break stuff, K-breaks reviews, mm-hmm. products on Amazon, all kinds of stuff. So I've, I've created that. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting the way that that whole algorithm works. But so we're going to wrap this one up. Um, thank you again for coming in for a second episode. I think this is awesome. Um, it's been really good getting to sit down and talk. We get to talk all the time, but not always do we get to sit and talk about, um, you know, design and our past and stuff all together and for, and for fun. Right. So without interruptions about, you know, our dogs or our families or any, you know, practical day to day stuff in our work lives. This has been awesome. I agree. Right. Thank you. No, it's good, man. Thank you again. All right. So, you know, as always, thank you for listening to the hustle the most podcast. This was episode 14. This is going to cap it out for season one. Check out season two to drop in a couple weeks. Check out more stories, photos, and connect with me at hustlethemost.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes, give us a like, give us a share, write a review, tell a friend. Thank you so much again for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Yeah.